We turn in God's Word this morning, the book of Exodus chapter 30. Book of Exodus chapter 30. I'm going to read just a few verses out of Exodus chapter 30, and then we're going to go to Exodus chapter 38 and just read one verse from there. While you're finding the passage, uh, we just uh, introduce our short series of messages. Uh, for those of you who are visiting, we've, we've just finished a, a series uh, comparing or looking at how Moses is the one who is the, the foreshadow of the coming of Christ throughout uh, from the time of his birth, uh, even through his death, even in his burial. We see uh, that God is foreshadowing or was foreshadowing the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. But we had touched on, uh, in the midst of that, uh, Solomon is the, or Moses as the one who builds the tabernacle, and how we see that fulfillment in Christ. And at the time I said, uh, when we're done with that series of messages, we're going to come back to the tabernacle and uh, look at the various items, the pieces of furniture that God commanded to be made and designed, how are they then fulfilled in Christ, but then what is the implication for worship? So over the course of uh, the next uh, six to eight uh, messages, uh, morning and evening, we'll be focused on these various pieces of furniture. I think I preached on this last when we still were meeting in the gym. That would have been uh, roughly about 18 or 19 years ago. So for some of you, this may sound familiar, although we're coming at it from a, a different viewpoint as far as where we're looking at, at it from. But uh, for others of you, you, you never heard that sermon series. So uh, this is where we begin. Exodus 30, verse 17. The Lord said to Moses, you shall also make a basin of bronze with its stand of bronze for washing. You shall put it between the tent of meeting and the altar, and you shall put water in it, which, with which Aaron and his sons shall wash their hands and their feet. When they go into the tent of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister, to burn a food offering to the Lord. They shall wash with water so that they may not die. They shall wash their hands and their feet so that they may not die. It shall be a statute forever to them, even to him and to his offspring throughout their generations. And then one brief comment is made in Exodus chapter 38. Verse 8, I should perhaps explain. In Exodus 30, God is commanding Moses. He's, he's, he's speaking to Moses on the mount, and he's giving Moses the instructions. He's saying, this is what I want done. When we turn to Exodus 38, they're actually building the thing. So Exodus 38 tells us, he made the basin of bronze and its stand of bronze from the mirrors 
of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. So we'll come back to that particular verse as well. Before we begin to deal with these matters, let's again bow in prayer. Shall we pray? Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. And Lord, the instructions that you give on how we are to worship and praise your name, Lord, may we take them very seriously. For Lord, you are a holy God, and your worship is so important to you. We pray that you'll speak through Pastor Bob, that we may understand these things, that we may worship you in spirit and in truth. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I want to look at uh, three things this morning, our three main points. First of all, the description of the labor. What information does God give to us about this particular piece of furniture that's included within the courtyard of the tabernacle? Secondly, how we see that fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And then thirdly, what are the implications of this for our worship? Because we have, we have to understand as we begin this series that, that God is commissioning, God is commanding that these various items be made specifically according to the pattern that he shows with the end of this is not to, to have some nice courtyard with some furniture and a nice tabernacle with some tent with some pieces of furniture and that. This was the means that God was giving to them by which they could worship. God was going to be dwelling in the midst of them. This was Israel's way that God is commissioning, that God is commanding as to how they are to worship him. Perhaps that point needs to be underscored as we begin, especially as we live in a day and age in a society in which so many... uh, Evangelical churches, even of the Reformed faith, uh, look at worship as being that which we desire to do. Well, we'd like to do this. We'd like to do that. We think this would be nice to include in worship. Or we think people would be attracted to our worship services if we did this or if we did that. And this is never consulted. This is never looked at. This is never contemplated. The perspective that the one who is being worshipped is the one who ought to be able to define how he desires to be worshipped has all been thrown out. That's not what drives most churches in our current culture in regards to worship. But we believe, not only in the Orthodox Presbyterian Church, but many churches of the Reformed faith, still believe that it is God who is the one who is going to be the the regulator of our worship. So he's giving a pattern here in the Old Testament. He's saying, this business of worship is very serious, so I'm going to tell you how I want to be worshipped. Worship me as I command. That is what you want to do, Israelites, because we know where that ends up, right? We know that ends at Exodus chapter 32, Let us build a golden calf. Let's party. Let's have a good time. God has something entirely different in mind. He 
yet when we, we see this, we, ha we have to understand these things are but shadows. The book of Hebrews is clear about that. In order to point us to Christ, but that still begs the question, what does that mean for us? Now? How does this, this wash basin have any sort of implication for us today, 2017? First of all, then, the description. And, and we have to begin with the word that is used. In our ESV, it is a basin. That's the word that is used. In some of your versions, it is the word labor that is used. I believe there might even be a couple of versions in which they use the word bath for, for the term. In the Hebrew, the word is kayor. And, and the, the word itself is descriptive. That, that Hebrew word means to make a depression by hammering. So it's the idea you have something flat and you take a hammer and keep hammering until you have something that has a depression in it. And there is a secondary interpretation of that Hebrew word, which means round. So something that is round that has been beaten to form a depression in it. Therefore, we come up with the idea of a basin. That, that's the English term that is used. We, if we were living perhaps in uh, the 16, 17, 1800s, we, we wouldn't be referring to a, a basin. We'd be referring to a labor. We wouldn't be talking about going to the wash basin and washing dishes. We'd be talking about going to the labor to do that. That's why we have lavatories taken from that old understanding of the word. So we, we the word is describing for us what is actually being made. Now the interesting thing is that there are no dimensions given. As we go through this series, we're, we're going to find, even when we come tonight to, to the altar of bronze as well, there's all sorts of dimensions that are given. Very precise, very detailed. For this particular dimension, though, for this particular piece of furniture, there's no dimension. It's not like it's so many feet across, or it's so many inches deep, or it's so many feet high. Nothing is given to us of that. If we, we have time at the end, uh, I'll make reference as to why I think that is. What, what is going on with God not given a dimension to this particular piece of furniture. Third thing we, we have to take note of, because the scripture doesn't go into a lot of detail. You, you can tell that. There's like five, six verses here. But it does tell us of the material that is used. It says that this particular item they are to make out of bronze. Now some items we're going to find are made out of wood overlaid with bronze. Some items we're going to find are going to be made out of wood overlaid with, with gold. Some items are going to be pure gold. Here, it is something that is made out of only bronze. Now, if you ask, what is, what is bronze? Well, the best description I, I have found in regards to what it is, is it's an actual 
combination of copper and tin. You combine copper and tin, that's what gives you bronze. What's interesting about that material is that it is a very durable material, especially considered that this basin, this laver, is going to be kept outside. It's going to experience all sorts of weather. And because it's made out of bronze, it's going to have a certain durability about it. It is going to weather well. Now, there's other reasons that God is commissioning this uh, to be made out of bronze. Bronze is, is considered an, an earthy material. That's why it's in the courtyard. It is that which is touching the dirt, the ground. And it, it, it is the idea of man approaching that tabernacle tent. Man in his earthiness, man in his sin, is coming into the presence of God. That's the courtyard. That's why it's out of bronze. When we get inside of the tabernacle, where God dwells, that's where we find the items of gold. In God's presence. But here, as it were, in man's domain, here on earth, we, we have bronze as the representative. And, and if you go back and read about the court of the tabernacle, the posts, the tent stakes, all that seemingly touches the ground is made of bronze. That's God commissioned. Fourth thing to note about this is the fact that there is a location mentioned as well. They are to set up this particular item, as I mentioned, in the courtyard, between the altar and the tabernacle. So the very first thing, when you came through the gate of the courtyard, the very first thing we're, you're going to encounter is a large altar, subject of tonight's message. The second item is that item that we're looking at this morning, this basin. Then comes the tabernacle. So that's where it stands in relationship to the, to the gate, to the entrance, the altar, and to the tabernacle. What's its purpose? Well, God stated it for us. The purpose is for the priests to wash. This wasn't for, for the people of Israel. This was for the priesthood. Every time that they had finished a function, they are to come to the basin and they are to wash their hands and they are to wash their feet. Every time before they enter into the tabernacle, sometimes to do the daily duties, specifically on the day of atonement when they're allowed to enter into the most holy place, they are to wash their hands and they are to wash their feet in this basin of water. Now, you and I, when we come to something to wash in, like a sink, okay, a lavatory, we, we put our hands in and we wash there. And, and then we'd look at it and we'd say, you know, if that just stays there and the next priest comes up and has to wash their hands in it, this is getting kind of gross. Hey, I don't see the cleansing going on. This looks like bad news. The way the Jews washed hands and feet, though, 
was that they would take this basin, they would dip in it a pitcher, and then from that pitcher, they would pour it over their feet, or they'd pour it over their hands. So it's a, a cleansing by pouring. They've even discovered in archaeological works of, of other religions outside of the Jewish people that, that sometimes in these, these cleansing baths, they'd actually have spigots. So they'd open them up and put their feet under, wash their feet, wash their hands, so that none of that which is being washed, none of the dirt, none of the grime is actually going back into the basin. The basin remains pure water. And the water then is poured out as the cleansing. There is something else to note here, though, okay, that, that we have to take into consideration. The bronze that they used for this, do you remember that passage, the Exodus 38? The bronze they use comes from the mirrors of the ministering women who ministered in the entrance of the tent of meeting. After they receive the instructions as to what God wants, they hold an offering. Okay? Bring. Bring your gold. Bring your silver. Bring your linen. Bring the, the colors that, that God is going to want. Bring the skins, the hides. Bring, bring all of these items that are going to be needed to build this tabernacle. It appears... Okay, from the passage that the gift that was given that they're going to use specifically for this cause, for the building of this basin, was that there were women whose function it was, whose work it was, to serve at the entrance of the courtyard. Some people think that, that they were uh, facilitators. Some people think that they were sort of greeters and welcomers. Others point out there are other places in Scripture that indicate that the, these were the prayer warriors of Old Testament Israel. These were the women who gathered and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed. Their contribution was their mirror. They say, well, where did they get a mirror from? Well, remember when they left Egypt, the Egyptians give them all sorts of things, all sorts of items. They, they, the word that was used is they plunder the Egyptians. Probably some of these women worked, some very wealthy women in the Egyptian culture okay, who were constantly looking in that mirror. And maybe some of these women even were the servants of those women and had to make sure they were dressed just right and hair done just right and those mirrors had been there. It, it appears that some of these Egyptian women just gave the mirror. Said, here, go, leave. Get out of here. They plundered them. They took everything of value. So here were these mirrors. Now you have to understand and think about this. If, if these mirrors function in the correct way, that meant that as you looked into this bronze, this mirror, you saw your reflection. It was that polished. It was that bright. The mirrors, okay, not of glass now, but of this metal, 
were taken, were beaten, so that there was a depression filled with water. Now think of what's happening. Every time a priest now comes to that labor, he looks in. What does he see? God wants the priest, before he enters into that tabernacle, to look at himself. Now, obviously, it's it's not just the physical look, it's the spiritual look. Because what accompanies it? I am dirty. Believe it. It's dirt. I'm about to walk into this holy place. I need to get rid of the dirt off my hands. I need to get rid of the dirt off my feet. Smatterings of blood from the sacrifices that would come and just the walking through the courtyard and the dirt that would accumulate. See, it was the picture given of it's not just the physical, spiritual, sin. can enter into place. So this is the item that God commands be built exactly according to the pattern. Set up on a stand, as the passage told us. So it's got some height to it, so they're not bending over. It's not itself on the ground. It's sitting on a stand. Now how do we see, as we come to the New Testament, Christ is the fulfillment of this. Well, in some ways, that's kind of an easy transition. It, it's easy to make the, some associations. Let's go, for example, to John chapter 4. John chapter 4. We know the story. We know the account. It's Jesus meeting that Samaritan woman. Jesus meeting a woman who who is considered unclean, who is considered dirty. At least from Jewish standards, that is needed, that, that's, that's what she's like. But go to verses 13 and 14. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. But Jesus is making an association, isn't he? He's associating himself with water. What's in the basin? Water. Now, in this case, the water in the basin is not for drinking, it's for cleansing. But, but note what Jesus is saying. That water that I am is essential. For life. If you want to live, you need the water of life. Now, now, and I'm going to come back to this several times. Remember what God commanded those priests. If you don't 
wash. If you don't use the water, if you don't use the water, what's going to happen when you enter into the tabernacle? You're going to what? Die. Is the water then life? Yes. If they make use of the water in the labor, in the basin, to wash with, and then enter the presence of God, they will have life. If they bypass this basin and fail to wash even once and they seek to enter the tabernacle, they're going to die. Jesus is the water of life. Without him, you die. Secondly, there is certainly a picture for us here of the sacrament that Jesus commands. Matthew chapter 28, the baptism. There is a picture here, is there not, of a cleansing that we do at baptism. Not a cleansing in the sense that this saves, not in the sense that this, okay, and because one has this, they're saved, so I don't have to take Christ seriously, I don't have to deal with the cross, I was baptized, that's all it takes. Now, this is for us a picture, a sign that points to what? The washing away of sin by the blood of Christ. But that too is life. Without the washing with Christ's blood, which this points to, see, it's it, 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 take it back. If we were in the Old Testament, that's what this would be, right? This would be the wash basin. This would be the laver. And, and this needed to be done before entering that tabernacle, before entering into God's presence. Well, in essence, in baptism, we are essentially saying the same, but not, we're, we're just using the water as the symbol. The water, the cleansing, is that which happens through the blood of Christ. Don't ever think that that little episode on the cross where, where the soldier comes and pierces Jesus' side, and what flows from his side? Both blood and water. Tonight, we're going to hear, before they could approach God in the tabernacle, there needed to be a sacrifice of blood. But there was a second step. There needed to be a cleansing with water. From Christ's riven side flowed both blood and water. The double cure as we sing in Rock of Ages. That which is needed for life. That which is necessary for life. So there is the picture of what we did this morning for Ashton. There is a picture in the sign of Christ's blood washing away sin, of Christ's promise to do so on faith. An acknowledgement from Andy and Ashley that they're going to do all they can to raise and train Ashton to come to know the significance and truth of that which is being depicted, that which is being symbolized in this sacrament. We, 
as a congregation made a commitment that we will do our part as well to always place before Ashton the responsibility of knowing that he is a baptized child of God. Baptized, symbolizing that he is in a unique and special relationship with God. But also the requirement, the necessity of being washed in the blood of Christ. Third, there is another sense where we have to take this. Go to John chapter 13. John 13. Excuse me, John 15. Interesting statement of Jesus. John 15, verse 3. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now notice that all the things that are going on here. That Jesus is talking about the idea of being clean the idea of being clean comes from the, the perspective of being washed. That idea of being washed, of being clean, of being in Christ, comes through water, comes through a washing that Christ does. Now, look at the significance of that when you turn to Ephesians chapter 5. We usually never get to this part of the verse. We're, we're always stopping before we get there. Now, Ephesians 5.25, it's the, the classic husbands love your wife, Christ loved the church and gave himself up to her. We put a period. Okay, that's it. There's the lesson. Yes, that is a lesson. But, note there is more. He gave himself up for her that he what? That he might sanctify her. How? Having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word. The washing that Jesus fulfills is the daily washing that those priests had to go through. Coming to that labor over and over and over again. Coming to that wash basin several times a day, pouring out that water. And Christ said, that cleansing is fulfilled by my word. It is my word which is the means of cleansing. In that function, in, in that way, See, that's why in the upper room in John chapter 13, Jesus washing the disciples' feet, he comes to Peter. Peter says, no, 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 no. Jesus said, unless I wash your feet, you have no part in me. Then Peter responds, what? Then wash all of me. Jesus says, you don't need that. You've already had the bath. You just need your feet washed. You need that daily cleansing. See, the priest 
had been set aside for their work by a bath that Moses did. They only needed the bath one time in their life. But every day they needed cleansing. Every day. Peter, you don't need a bath. You just need a daily cleansing. Every day, Peter, every day, you need to come to me. So what are the implications for our worship in regards to this? Well, one is this. We need, we must be washed to worship. We cannot enter the tabernacle without being washed, lest they die. I don't think things have changed in that. I, Jehovah, change not. Fulfilled in Christ, to be sure. So do, we, do, so do we put in the back of our church a little wash basin, so before you come in, you got to take the water and go, you know, over you. You know, you got to have that cleansing. you, you got to do that, that ritual. No. Why? Because that has been fulfilled in Christ. That finds its fulfillment in Christ. Yet, if I dare approach God, if I dare to come into God's presence to worship without having cleansed. See, he's not referencing here the idea of the fact, well, are you a Christian? Can't every Christian come in? Sure. But he's not referencing the, the, the being born again. He's not referencing here the idea of the blood of Jesus Christ. That's in the altar. But this was the daily cleansing, the daily washing. Before I enter the presence of God, what do we do here? We bow in a time of silence. Why? Before I enter into that presence of God, before worship begins, before God comes and calls us and greets us, what do we need to do? We need to. as one who's been walking in this earth. I've got sin on my feet. I've got sin on my hands. And when I look in the bowl, I see sin. And I need to be washed. I don't think it's worship unless we do. You're here, you're taking part of a nice social event, perhaps, but it's, it's not really worship. Unless you're coming with that, that sense. I'm a sinner. I don't need a bath. I don't need to walk the aisle again. I don't need to make a profession of faith again. Perhaps that means that time of silence, which I know sometimes gets rather awkward. Okay? 
know, it's, it's an awkward time. We're not people who are used to silence in our society. And we get uncomfortable when it goes past 30. The pianists get a little antsy. Should I start? Shouldn't I start? I don't know. It seems like it's been a long time. You know, in reality, maybe we ought to take five minutes. Maybe we ought to just sit here in silence for five minutes. Let's pray. Father, forgive us. Lord, before I can come into your presence to worship, i got to confess. i got some hand washing. Some of us, maybe, the picture isn't even big enough. Just need to take the whole basin and pour it out. See, I, I, see, that that I think is an implication. And, and I don't want to keep using the comparison of modern day churches, but folks, really, you know, I'll stand back at my latte machine and I'll get my latte and then I'll walk in and I'll just be laughing and joking and drinking my latte and then it's like, oh yeah, I sing the sacrifice of praise. Holy, holy, holy. I got my cup in my hand and I can wave my other hand. Really? You have no sin to reckon with the Lord. You have no cleansing that is needed. And you see, that labor is placed right before the tabernacle. God could not picture it any clearer. Before you come, you say, well, we're not priests. Yes, you are. We've been made priests. Peter tells us that. Through the work of Jesus Christ, each one of us gets to enter the tabernacle now. Each one of us gets to go in. Not just an ordained priesthood. You are ordained priest through Jesus Christ. You get to enter into the presence of God. That's what we're doing when we worship. Where it says, yeah, you can offer your sacrifice, but then you better stop and take a look at yourself in that bowl. That's what we're doing when we have silent prayer. We're looking at ourselves in the bowl. Where we walk into God's presence. Second implication. We also have to be washed to serve. See, why are the priests going in? Now, think about it. They're walking into the tabernacle. For what purpose? What's the reason? Well, we'd say, well, they're going to worship. Yeah, but what does worship look like for a priest? Okay? They're not going in there singing songs. They're going in there tending the table of showbread, changing out the bread. They're tending that candlestick over there and making sure it's got it's lit and everything's going, it's got enough oil. They're going to the altar of incense and what are they doing there? They're, they're making sure there's incense continually rising. How are we doing on that? Okay, now I go out. What do I got to do? I got to wash. Okay, next time, evening, come back in. What do I got to do? I got to wash. I check all these things. What is it? They're serving. This is an act of service. They're entering into the presence of God to serve. They're really going to serve somebody. Somebody that's 
somebody who is taking seriously their sin, reflecting upon it, become a part of the grace that God has given to us. Third, we must make use of baptism. I blank got left in there and didn't get under the right spot. Baptism, it, what we did this morning, what we would do to an adult who's never been baptized is so significant, so important. Not only because it fulfills that command, not only because it pictures for us that cleansing in the blood of Christ, but because it's so necessary to worship. It's so necessary to serve. It's so necessary to be a part of the body of Christ. See, that's what happens in that baptism, right? We become in Christ. We become part of Christ's body. When we baptized them, Ashton this morning, that the whole thing about the fact that you as a congregation, we have a responsibility. Why? Because the baptism signifies being in Christ. And we live in a day and an age. And I know I'm probably stepping on toes, but I've probably done that already this morning. So we live in a day and age in which people don't think anything of church affiliation. Oh, yeah, I can just go there and I can just be there for a year and I don't have to join. No. You find no such thing in the Word of God. In the Word of God, people are in Christ. And when they're in Christ, where are they? They're in the body of Christ. They're in a church. They're members of a church. There aren't people freelancing it. See, there aren't any responsibilities when you freelance. There isn't any service that you're called to when you freelance. It's easy to do that. We don't want to. We don't want to live under all those confinements. We need to be reminded in baptism, call it serve, call it serve, be a part of that body of Christ. Fourthly, we must always be looking to Jesus. Always. The whole of our worship. It's not about anything but Christ. Our baptism is about Christ. The table is about Christ. The pulpit is to be about Christ. It is all to be Christ-centered. It is not to be man-centered. It is not to be theology-centered in that regard. It is not to be creed-centered. It is not to be catechism-centered. It is to be Christ-centered. That's what it's all about. That's what the focus in the church is to be. But it is also to be that focus in our lives. Turn with me to one last passage. Turn to me to Psalm 119. Psalm 119. Go to verse 9. the wash basin. Picture cleansing on a daily basis. What's the cleansing? Jesus said, it's in my word. 
How do I keep my way pure? How does Ashton keep his way pure? How do you keep your way pure? By guarding it according to your word. Isn't that what Jesus said? Isn't that what he was talking about? The cleansing of the word? See, it's that daily, that daily coming to the word of God to see yourself in need of Christ. To look and to see Christ again in the Word. And to know that Christ's work is not incomplete. But Christ's work is a finished work. So I come as a sinner. I come to to the brazen, I come to that bronze laver. I come to God's Word. What do I see? I see a sinner. But that labor, that word, provides me with the water of life. It provides me with Christ that's poured upon my sin. So that, what? Washed away. In fact, it's so washed away, I can now turn and go into the very presence of the holy See, the labor is speaking to us. This wash basin is speaking to us of our sanctification, of our daily walking with Christ. Not of our being born again, not of our justification, but of our sanctification. Daily, daily. The emphasis that we ask of parents, what, what, what are you going to do about this? I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach, I'm going to teach. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to lead them regularly, daily, to Christ. Where? In the Word. So that we may serve, so that we may worship, so that we may live daily lives as God's priests. God's people say. Father, we thank you again for this pattern that you yourself showed to Moses, that you gave to your people, fulfilled in Christ, given to us so that we might live and move, have our being fully, completely in Jesus Christ. It's in his name. God's people say, Amen.